0: If you don't have a person, if you don't have a purpose and going to see whether it's a prospective client or existing client, guess what? Do not see them. I think it's a crime to waste people's time to just want to stop in, check in, see what's going on. I mean, it's a loud, clear message is that I don't have time for this. And 90% of salespeople fall into that trap. And you know what the beauty of this is, is that we should constantly be finding ways to add value in these conversations.
1: This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Paul Cherry with me, and we're going to talk about questions that sell and gain an edge. Welcome to the show, Paul. Oh, thank you, Steve. Pleasure to be here. So just by way of uh, introduction, Paul Cherry is the founder of Performance-Based Results, which provides companies with customized sales workshops, coaching, and sales leadership programs. He's worked with more than 1,200 organizations, including 175 of the Fortune 500. His top-rated best-selling book, Questions That Sell, The Powerful Process for Discovering What Your Customer Really Wants, is one of Book Authority's 100 best sales books of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Paul, it's great to have you here. And uh, we're, we're covering some, some key stuff here, right? The questions that, that, uh, that we ask. Uh, for, first question I had for you. Um, A question about questions. How important are questions in the sales process and how can a salesperson best use them to their advantage? Yeah, well, first of all, the good litmus test of of any good sales call
0: is this, uh, who did most of the talking. So if the salesperson did most of the talking, not a good call. If the customer or the prospect did most of the talking, that's a really good call. Uh, That's gonna be key. helping salespeople use as a litmus test,
1: right? And your next question, what was that again? Uh, how can, so how, how can you use questions to your advantage? Well, the
0: questions to the advantage is they're a guidepost. They're a, able to engage whether somebody is interested. So if we are going down that spiel, spiel and talking about our products, PowerPoints, presentations or whatever, it's really hard to really decipher if somebody's really involved or not. Yeah, you can look at the body language and, you know, their intonation and things like that. But, you know, I, I really want that person to allow me to where, where they are in that sales process and, and is a good qualifier to move forward to that next step and or
1: close the sale. Questions will do that. Makes a ton of sense, yeah. U- using using questions to qualify where your where your customers at in the sales process. Oh, should should salespeople expect their customers to ask questions about uh, about your products, or should you kind of try to get ahead of those, or should you lead them into what asking questions? Where you, how do you how do you think about that?
0: Well, I think that it's it's important that. Um It'd be a conversation so it's about asking questions but also soliciting you know interest where they can ask questions as well uh, but i think what there's two elements here is the person who asks the questions that's the individual in control uh whereas the person answering the questions feels in control and, and but it's the right question so really understanding in terms of what people are, are looking for and what they're looking to accomplish but if somebody's peppering me um and getting into some of the details of the products yeah i want to get into that but i also want to be able to respond but importantly though come back and say let's veer back into what's going to be important to you number or number two is did i answer your question but let's move on um i don't want to be in the defensive mode where i am just sitting there as if i'm in an interview process i'm the candidate and this person is the employer asking me all the questions. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, when I was in my uh, late 20s, uh, well, mid to late 20s, and uh, I learned the power of asking questions through interviews. And that is, uh, uh, it would start off, you know, the greeting, how are you doing, whatever. Uh, but but and then I would say, you know, you obviously um, met a lot of candidates. And I'm curious, based on uh, the things that's going to be important you, tell me uh, the criteria that's going to be really important to you to ensure that you really... Uh, find um, the right ideal candidate. And it's interesting, that question, this person would start rattling off those ideal attributes. I mean, that was a something that really engaged people, found out what was important to them. Number two, I also found in interviews that led to me in terms of selling was, you know, how'd you get started, you know, in this business? Can you tell me a little bit about your history, your background and challenges and opportunities and, you know, where you see your career moving forward? And why was that important? Because these recruiters, we're very bored and tired, you know, going through the motions, and it's like showing interest in them and engaging them. So it's a give and take. Um, you know, anything in life, personal relationships, family relationships, business relationships, sales relationships. To me, it's the whole same process. Absolutely. selling is yeah. selling, you know, engaging. I call it engaging.
1: makes sense. And you talk a lot about control in the sales process. what Why is? Why is it important for a salesperson to control the process as a pre- as opposed to, I feel like there's been a trend in sales in general and, and buying, I guess I would say, the, a, a trend in buyers that they have a bit more control than they did 20 years ago, because salespeople used to control yeah. the flows of information. Whereas today, um, you know, the information's out there already, you know, there's a lot of, there's more much more analyst reports, there's a lot of people creating... Content and information, and making it available on the on the internet, and, and I feel like salespeople have lost a good amount of the control of the conversations they used to have. Well, I I think that's your
0: advantage. Okay, and any salesperson listening today is your advantage. Here's the real news, the good news. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of information out there. We know a lot of it is garbage, is inaccurate. It's it's as SEO populated, manipulated, exploited, credibility, all that stuff. Here's what the reality is. The customer is so confused and overwhelmed that with all that information, if anything, they either puke, push back, and rather they're looking for that individual, that strategic partner, you the salesperson, to take them through, guide, lead, and direct them to the right decision. Customers are more cynical and distrusting today. That is your advantage. Okay. Because of that, um, you know, my business is booming and there's a ton of information on how to sell. It's booming because a lot of that stuff out there is garbage. So challenge your, 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 listeners about that. Okay. It's their competitive edge.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, um, oh, that loss of control can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can Short. shorten sales cycles or it can extend them kind of depending on yeah. what the information is. I mean, we, we had a, uh, we were a pretty small industry that, I, you know, <laughs> mapping and routing for salespeople, but like mm-hmm. got a really cool analyst report come out that really broke down the whole, the whole uh, area really, because there's different types of mapping software, right? There's not <laughs> just us, but there's, you know, building a territory, building all the territories for your hundred reps across the country, where, where do you draw the lines uh, between the zip codes, et cetera, like other types, trucking softwares for routing, other stuff like that. But Someone broke it all down. Uh, some sales consulting firm put it online, and it's it was really helpful for us because it it you know they they did a bunch of research that I think and boiled the ocean really f- figured out this whole complex space, made our customers not have to do it anymore, and so that actually shortened sales cycles because they would just read about us and be like, oh, you guys are great at this this and this, and that's what I wanted. So. Mm-hmm. I came to the right place and they know they came to the right place. And then, yeah, so I think yeah. it was very, we actually put it, we put it right on our homepage because it was so, yeah. it was so helpful for them in making decisions, kind of figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I guess, you know, controversial, uh, on the other hand, if, if the information was bad or, or you know, yeah. was like, Hey, this, all the software in this space is horrible. Like it would have slowed things down a lot. So I guess a lot of yeah. it is about yeah. what's, what's out there.
0: Well, here's a good here's a good example. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because um, you know, a lot of individuals that would study getting um going into library science, okay? Typically have to get a master's degree in that field. And then you go work for a county uh city library. I don't know what the starting salary might be forty, fifty thousand dollars now. And it's just like okay. here's what's interesting. The number one recruiter for librarians today is not that uh, format um, fortune 500 companies are hiring people with the library science why because these are individuals who will be able to take the information culminate the information package the information put it together and it's be able to educate influence you know these high-level decision makers give me the information the ammunition I need in and in a very you know tight um, way that can really help me be able to educate influence others and make those decisions that are important moving forward so Where I'm going with that is sales professionals today can be the same way to take all that information out there and tailor it, make it very specific and customize to their customers. That's what I call leveraging the expertise out there. But you know what, Steve? Here's the crazy thing. You'd be shocked, shocked how many salespeople don't go through some of just the basic planning steps, you know, when they are making sales calls. And You know, they're just dropping in, popping in. Hey, I want to talk to you about my product or service. Just do, you know, you could do such basic homework, 60 seconds. And one of the things when it comes to questions is, is that, and I tell people, you know, before you're going to, you know, you're going to stop in on, on on a potential client, Google something about their market, their trend, you know, like 2023 to 2027, specific trend going on in their industry. Okay. And then things pop up and then you're able to see an article. And you can take the first, second paragraph, get something of interest. And then you pop in, you say, Hey, it was interesting coming to visit me today. I came across this article and it talked about the challenges when it comes to this application. Yet others in this industry are saying, No, that's not true. I'm curious as to what your experiences are compared to what are two opposing viewpoints. And I'm like, You know, how long does that take? That shows, you know, a little bit of planning, a little bit of homework and some credibility is that there's a purpose to the call to get things, you know, a sales conversation going
1: versus, hey, what can I show you today? Or what can I sell you today? You know, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I think this is this is a huge advantage for people that always sell to the same type of customers. Like one example, you know, we have customers that sell to dentist offices yeah, and most dentist offices are pretty similar. right It's got one or five one to five dentists in it, and they they all kind of you know, they do the they do very similar things for all their customers. so they're they're very similar businesses. It's much harder if you you know are selling you know water to every different type of business because if you're selling always dentist offices, you can really know what's going on in their industry, their business. they can have have a lot more. Things that you be an expert in different parts of their business and have, have it at your fingertips, right? Whereas if you're selling to everybody, it's a, it's harder. Yeah, that is more of that, you know, the feature benefit
0: transactional dump, where if you're gonna show up, you better hope that you better close that opportunity because uh, they may not value the relationship, but basically, okay, what can you, you know, give me the product if it's 10 cents cheaper, okay, maybe I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. I would think a lot of your listeners today are are beyond that though. And why they're interested in this? Okay, you know it's interesting when you talk about the medical industry, and I'll, uh, I'll give you an example why this is so important. We went through uh, one, um, a major company that was selling uh, electro electrotherapy to stimulate uh, uh, quick healing of the bones. Uh, one of the things that uh, they brought us in because uh, <laughs> when well, they would stop in and see surgeons, doctors, and so forth, practitioners, the number one question uh, that came out of their uh, the salesperson's mouth was, "Do you have any non-union?s and non-unions means, you know, any, any patients that are are not healing. Well, when you're asking the surgeon, you got any non-unions, it's like, wait, you can't be that good of a doctor. So you obviously have some problems. Tell me what patients. Doctors say, no, 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 I don't have any non-unions. All's good. But I'll tell you what, leave me some literature. And if something, if a patient comes up, I'm having a problem. I'll give you a call. And Nothing would happen. So one of the things that we did uh, was creating the educational question. And um, it went something like this. Um, salesperson was was trying to get a hold of this doctor. Six months, nothing would work, nothing at all. So we saw this doctor one morning around 7 a.m. on on one of the hospital floors, weaving through from from, uh, patient room to patient room. So as soon as the doctor is hopping out of the room, the uh, salesperson says, hey, doctor, interesting I saw you because I came across this this article in JAMA and it was talking about some of those patients, patients who are obese and elderly, uh, some of the issues that they're having when it comes to non-unions. However, what the article went further on to say is that really wasn't the toughest population. It was the, those that were smoking, smoking and diabetic. I'm curious as to what your experiences are, uh, compared to the different populations with non non unions. Well, the doctor interrupted and said, "Ho oh, oh, ho! Oh, man, I don't have time to talk about this right now. I'm really busy. I gotta get to my next patient, but you know what, are you around, um, for lunch? Because uh, I want to sit down. I got a few patients right now. I got, I, I think of five patients right now. I'm having some real difficulty with within that patient po- population profile you're talking about. Now, let me ask you, Steve, and the, those in, in the medical community, how many times is the doctor going to say, hey, do you have time for lunch?
1: Only if you have something valuable to say. Exactly, exactly. They don't need anybody, anybody to buy them lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's
0: like that, but, it, but it's rare.
1: You're lucky if you get two or three minutes
0: with a surgeon. Yeah. You know, and yet, does this work all the time? No, but it's showing. It's showing and demonstrating that, you know, you're an expert. Right. You, you're different in the marketplace. And you're, it's saying, insinuating that I understand your industry, your challenges, your issues, you know, what's going on
1: in the marketplace. And that's what's going to be important for salespeople today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, And and do you use this strategy differently if it's a first impression versus a relationship that exists? It doesn't matter. And the reality is because things
0: are constantly changing. Here's the point. If you don't have a person, if you don't have a purpose, and going to see whether it's a prospective client or existing client, guess what? Do not see them. I think it's a crime to waste people's time to just want to stop in, check in, see what's going on. I mean, it's a loud, clear message is that I don't have time for this. And 90% of salespeople fall into that trap. And you know what the beauty of this is, is that we should constantly be finding ways to add value in these conversations. Create value is going to be key. Uh, I just had this with no uh, I can't mention the pharmaceutical company uh, working with the medical science liaisons. OK, these are these are people who have uh, off label discussions. They're not in a selling role. Right. And uh, they're, they're doctors, they're they're uh, PhDs and they have mm-hmm. to make required calls. And they were like ah, they brought me in because they're like, well, if I have no new data to talk to my key opinion leaders, uh, I'm not going to go in and see these folks. I are you kidding me? You're the eyes and the ears of what's going on in the community. You talk with how many doctors and peers and cohorts on a daily basis. Your job is to really just be. You can have these informal conversations, you know, in, in talking with you know epidemiologists. What I'm hearing is some of the issues are this. Others are telling me this. I'm curious. What are the trends, opportunities you're seeing in the marketplace? Um, we can do this informally doesn't have to be, you know, so constructed or disciplined, but let's have a purpose to our calls where we're actually creating and adding value. That's what relationships are all about versus just pitching a product.
1: I've, I've read um, stuff from you where you talk about why you, why, why we should get out of the present situation and focus on the customer's past and the customer's future. Could you talk about what you mean by that and why it's important?
0: So, you know, I just, I, I, I just, my expertise, my passion, my love is all about questioning. That's just, I don't, it's, it's everything I do because it's all about the relationships. Here's what's interesting every industry that I've worked in, and I don't care if it's newer folks or highly seasoned established folks. When we take people through our questions, and I just say, okay, guys, let's get into our groups, merge and purge your questions, come up with your top 10 questions you ask customers, you know, from those, you know, starter calls, initiating calls to those established relationships. Um, give me the questions as if I'm an outsider coming in, and these are these are the questions I should be asking on a regular basis. Here's what happens, Steve. Eighty-seven um, percent of the questions are in the present. In other words, I'm, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, let's see. Uh, how's the weekend? How's business? How's the family? To what are you paying now? What, what, what's working? What's not working? What is your budget? What are your needs? What are your problems? What are your issues, challenges, opportunities? Um, what else? What are you paying now? Are you the one that makes the decisions? What else, you know? 87% are in the present, present, present. And then about 8% go into the future. You know, it's a goal question, okay? Timing question. Whether it's, you know, what are your plans this year or when should I get back to you? Interesting enough, about 4% of the questions go into the past. You know, example is, you know, tell me how you got started. Tell me about some of the challenges that have led up to your current situation let's go back to the origins of this problem let's go back to what originally led you to make this decision Salespeople don't go there steve rarely do they go there and you know why because they 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 think oh it's dead it's done i can't i can't sell into the past there's no money into the past ah here's the secret Everything you want to sell into the future is where? It's in the past. Where's the pain? It's in the past. As a matter of fact, you start peppering a a, a prospective customer, even established customer, with a lot of present questions. You either annoy, intimidate, interrogate, or put your customer to sleep. Salespeople got to back away from a lot of those present questions. It's like a check. Ever have somebody call on you and they go through the checklist of questions? <laughs> it's a great way to turn off a customer. So the emotions, by the way, are in the future. Because where does a customer prefer to be? It's always in the future. Hopes, dreams, desires, outcomes. So I would challenge salespeople. Get out of the present. And they're gonna make they're gonna close a lot more sales and they're gonna connect with, with their, their 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 relationships a lot more quickly.
1: It makes sense. I mean to to understand someone, you know, you've got to understand where they came from, where this problem came from, how it's developed. And I also think one of the most important things you can do in sales is 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 get someone to envision a future where the problem yeah. that you solve is is being solved hopefully by your by your yep. product but maybe by some some other product but like getting them to to actually not just see themselves there but also put real numbers to what is how much is this worth in terms of real dollars if we were right. to solve yeah. this problem. Yeah, it gives me to, here here's
0: an example too. I I fall into the trap of asking, you know, sometimes when I get a, a low hanging fruit and an opportunity, somebody called me a little while back and said, "Hey Paul, we're interested in bringing you in." This date, are you available? And I said, Oh, yeah, I am. So I, I got into the questions. Okay, where's it going to be held? Um, what do you want me to talk about? How long do you want me to talk? How many people? Uh, what's your budget? <laughs> Look about those questions, checklist of the questions. And the person, I was getting yes or no answers, and I realized, holy cow, I teach the art of asking great questions. And the person, you could tell by that, you ever get to that fourth or fifth question, and you could tell you're actually putting the person to sleep. And I'm like, oh, man, Paul, step away. So I said, whoa, 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 let's step back. Let's Before I even continue, let me just step back and understand the bigger picture. Here came the question. So tell me where you see you and your business three years from now. It was like pulling a lever. All of a sudden, the person is like opened up the floodgates. They talked about hiring new people, aggressive growth plans, how to outsmart the competition. Um, Four minutes almost. And and then I said, well, how's that? You know, this was post-COVID. How's that compared to pre-COVID situation? And they said, oh, man, boy, pre-COVID, as a matter of fact, you know, I, uh, it, it was a lot different. You know, we we were just, we were losing a lot of money and opportunities. We got slammed with COVID. We just thought, man, we're just never going to get it at this whole. We just really, really, really have to do something so my last question was what the impact if things don't change you don't achieve those goals that you just told me about what might be the impact on your business moving forward and he said well boy if things don't change then it really is going to put me, me 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 individually at risk and my own job security so what i found out steve is it wasn't about me coming in for an hour or two or whatever but really understanding the bigger picture. Could I have closed that sale without asking those questions? Yeah, but I would come in for just a keynote for an hour. When the reality is that turned out to be one of my most lucrative account opportunities. By just spending 45 more minutes to have a more deeper, thorough, complete understanding of the customer needs. How did I do it? Getting out of the present, going more into the future and the past. That's an example. We got to take the time to get to know, and cultivate our relationships. And it means getting out of the present. Does that help that example?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think there's a really powerful concept here that you that you said that is worth thinking about, and that's that people's hopes and their dreams and their ambitions and their fears, yeah, all are associated with the future. Like the, that's that's all. You know, so if you can get them to start speaking to those things, I think it's a lot easier to get them to actually take action and do something because they attach it to an emotion instead of just um, you know, oh, I think I'll. I think I'll be able to do 10% better if I do this today. It's not that's not as a, not as big of a deal of I think this is how this will affect the business or my career in three years or here's here's the trajectory that, the you know, it's but I think that stuff is much more important and, and gets gets people to act a lot better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that because I think there's one of four questions that prospective customers or existing customers have in their mindset. And your salespeople listening today need to align how their product service solution is alignment to address one of these four key motivations. Okay. One of the four are that the questions that the a customer has in their mind is number one, how's this going to minimize my risk? You know, the risk of failure, the risk of loss, the real risk of losing money, opportunities, customers, business, um, minimize my risk. Number two is how's this going to make me look good? How's this going to give me the competitive edge? Okay. Number three, Number three is, how's this going to make me more profitable or successful or help me progress in my career? Or number four is, how's it going to simplify my life? In other words, how's it going to save me time, frustrations, headaches, labor, resources? How's it going to make my life easier? So it, it, there's always an emotional driver. And some of you people might be to myself, might say, well, I sell a transactional product. Well, maybe you do. But more of a reason that you still need to emotionally connect with your customers, because when emotions and logic cross, which one rules? Emotions typically do, and your competitors out there, people are listening. You know, they're hawking and they're constantly banging on the doors, trying to claim how they can, you know, save your customers money or give them an opportunity. And if you have, if you have, you know, more of an entrenched relationship in there. What better way to protect that relationship from being disrupted to to, um, a competitive threat out there? So let's work on those relationships. Questions do that,
1: okay? Well, I I suspect that a lot of salespeople don't ask as many questions as they Uh, otherwise would because they're concerned with not knowing how to respond or react if they get a uh, a curveball response, <laughs> there's, there's an unexpected response to that question, yeah. how can how can salespeople be more comfortable with not knowing the? Uh, I think there's actually a piece of wisdom in sales, like don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to. But you you can't ask as many questions as you could if you if you live by that. So how how can you get comfortable with asking a question that you don't know the answer to, and how can you effectively deal with those situations of uncertainty?
0: Well, I, you know, it is of course within a context, but I think that, uh, I think, and again, I would be, be be careful and never put everybody in a box. But for there's, you know, a real challenge that salespeople, you know can be hesitant to ask questions. You know, they don't want to look stupid. They, they don't want to be embarrassed. They're afraid of the truth. They're afraid of that. Maybe the relationship isn't as strong, um, that they may open up a can of worms, that they're looking at other competitive choices. And it's rather, I'd rather not hear the truth. Let's just be cordial. Let's be nice. Let's be pleasant. And I'll tell you what, it's it's hilarious because when I have established seasoned, highly seasoned salespeople who go through my program and I'm like, man, are you kidding me? They're the, they're it's, it's 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 comical because it's like and they're being they're being honest. It's like, "Well, I I I am not going to ask these questions cuz I've been calling this guy for 10 or 12 15 years and he, they they say, "Oh, they're going to think I came out of some sales training." I'm like, "Yeah, ha ha ha, yeah." But the reality is because your relationship isn't as deep as tight as you think it is, okay? And the reality is your relationship is 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 on the surface. Because if you have such a good relationship, as you should not be afraid to ask those tough questions. Because I'm all about seeking the truth and making the relationships even better. I don't want to be dancing around the issues. What do you got to lose? No, you're not going to lose the, the opportunity. If you're a lawyer, I get it. You know, you're in court, you ask a question, you don't know the answer. Yeah, it's dangerous. And selling? You're there to investigate. You're like a doctor. Your job is to really dig deep and understand what is it you're telling me, what is it you're not telling me, and what's the hidden, hidden message here, motivation. Because you know what, Steve? You, you touched on something really important that I kick off my sessions with. And this is with Dartnell Research Institute. Here's, I ask them, you know, as we kick off the session, I, I ask, okay, tell me, the percent based on Dartnell Research Institute, they did the survey across all industries. And I'll ask you this, Steve. What percentage of the time, what percentage of time, on average, are customers telling you what is on their minds? Take a guess, as if you're in, in sales today, what might that percentage
1: be? Less than 10. Yeah.
0: Here's what's interesting. I was shocked because I came back with a similar feedback. And what the study, this very exhaustive, intense study found, is that 80% of the time, customers are not telling you what is on their minds. And notice I said the word customers. These are people who already know you, are aware of you, and or doing business with you. And the thing that I share with people based on this study is that its customers are withholding what's truly on their minds. The concept you've heard about is masking, masking. And why is it customer's mask? And there's a host of reasons. It's either they don't want confrontation. Number two, they don't wanna hurt your feelings. Number three, you're a salesperson. I tell you what's really on my mind. You're gonna counter me with objections. Number, I may be shopping around. Number five, I don't wanna look stupid or ignorant. Uh, number six, I, I have other priorities if it's just not important to me uh, or because I like you, because I like you, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I didn't even give you all the reasons why people mask. But here's my point, Steve. If on average, 80% of the time, customers are not telling you what is on their minds and salespeople are being skittish and dancing around the issues because they too are masking because they don't want confrontation. They don't want to hurt the jeopardize the relationship you got two parties that are very much on the surface. And I say, man, that don't fly. Let's make these relationships meaningful of substance. Let's let's have customer intimacy. I wanna get to the 80%, you're not telling me. Because if I don't go there, guess what? My competition will find a way to get there. And I'm not gonna let my competition because then they have the competitive edge. And it's dangerous. And you know what's something else, Steve? Dartnell Research Institute took the study further and they asked what percentage of the time are customers actively listening? Do you think it's high or low? Low. Low. On average, 20% of the time they're actively listening. And that means when the salesperson is talking, educating, advising, sharing information, that means on average. The customer is only listening to one of every five words. What is the secret? What is the secret to getting 100% listening? It's really easy. Ask questions. It's ask questions. That's it. That's just, yeah. and you know what? I'd love to tell you, this is Paul Cherry's material. You know where I got this from? Hmm. Socrates. Socratic <laughs> selling. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. The Socratic method, you know? It's just these things don't, you know, we talk about change. Yeah, a lot of change in in the world. But guess what? Some things don't change. And people love to hear themselves talk, okay? Again, be engaged, be involved. They feel important. They feel valuable. Dale Carnegie, famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one of the premises. You can Mm -hmm. spend six months talking about yourself. And finally, maybe that person will start to begin to like you. Whereas if you get them talking about themselves, you you make an, an immediate immediate, meaningful connection in the first two minutes. Questions do that.
1: But the right questions, you know? Well, explain to me uh, lock-on questions, Uh, the the concept of the lock-on question. I've heard you talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. I love the lock-on questions
0: because... You know, in my sessions, we had the strategic questions. So the strategic questions are, you know, like like a like a, um, a time based question. You know, tell me where you see you and your business three years from now. And how's that different from where it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? You know, sort of big picture question, lay the land. Um, That would be more of a strategic, powerful, kind of big picture. Lock-ons are more tactical, tactical. I'm really trying to listen for the clues. There's a word or words that you say, and to really be able to kind of lock onto that keyword to get some substance or meaning behind it. Let's, you and I do an exercise and I'll I'll share with you what I mean. Let's say, um, Paul, I like everything. Uh, This all sounds good. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to run this by my colleagues. Okay, that's, you know, you give me a stall or an objection, right? What don't I know? You know, I had a 30 minute conversation with you. And you said all sounds good. I'm gonna run it by my colleagues.
1: Who are the colleagues? What kind of power do they have? Are they making the decision? Am I making the decision? What what do I have to ask them? Do I need is this permission? Or is this I are finding out if they're even interested?
0: Absolutely great. So, what I'm going to do is, I agree. I'm going to ask those very same questions you did, okay, to really assess because I don't want to stall. I don't want to blow off, you know, when I follow up with you eventually and say, hey, did you get a chance to talk to your colleagues? Eventually, when I catch up with you four to five times, the answer might be either no, I didn't get a chance, or yeah, I did talk to my colleagues. They said no, they're not interested. So, we're just going to sit still. I think salespeople could really relate to that. The lock on is fun because what I do is, you know, well, you know, I'm really glad to hear you're going to share this with your colleagues. Tell me though, um, you mentioned you're going to be sitting down with them next uh, next Monday. Um, tell me something. When you're sitting down with them, going over this information, Steve, is this something you're going to recommend or endorse? Now, I'm going to get one of two responses, right? I'm either going to say, I'm going to hear something like an emphatic, yes, I am, here's the reason why, or I'm going to get any other type of excuse to, well, I don't know. I still need to think about it, consider it, look at my other options and see. Now, of a sudden, I'm getting fluff, right? The lock-on allows me to get some substance because I locked onto the word when you said, I'm going to run this by or I'm going to share this with my colleagues. Run or share or talk is a very non-committal verb. So what I just did was I locked on to the verb and I wanted to get expansion, detail on that word to see where you stood on that word. That's all. That's what it is. So the, the lock on is very much tactical, tactical to qualify, to qualify and get more detail of your commitment and or lack of commitment It really goes back to that thing about masking you know what i really want to know is if you're sincerely interested or not okay but it's not limited to that of course okay it certainly is a valuable tool just to build and cultivate relationships with questions
1: okay and uh and and what about expansion questions how can we turn an ordinary question into, a, an, an, into an expansion question?
0: Well, expansion questions, if you, if you salespeople go, if they take a look at their questions and I'll say, okay, give me your top 10 questions. And as they go, you know, remember I said about the present, past and future. Well, here's what else is interesting. Nine, about 97% of the questions they ask are the who's, the what's, the where's, the when's, the why's, the how's, uh, or the R's. And, uh, An expansion question actually replaces the who's, the what's, the where's, the when's, the whys, the how's with a descriptive opener. I mean, I'll give you an example. Describe for me. Tell me. Share with me. Explain to me. Expand upon. Clarify. Um, Take me through. Help me understand. You got so many choices. So let's take a question. Look at the question. A question is this. The question that salespeople sometimes ask for qualifications purposes, are you the decision maker? Steve, is that an open-ended or closed-ended question? Closed. Closed. Number two, is it an important question to ask, however, a bit risky to ask? Are you the decision maker? Is an important
1: question. It's important, but and it's also risky. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're kind
0: of a little demeaning. Are you worth to talk to? Who should I be talking to? Um, if you're not, and it might encourage somebody not to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the decision maker. And, and you're getting a yes or no answer. Well, here's a great way to salvage what is what I call um, kind of a, a poor, kind of weak question. Because I still want that information, but I want to ask the question, and I want to ask it in the right way. So instead of, are you the decision-maker, I'm going to, get to replace it with a descriptive opener. And here it is, describe for me, describe for me your decision-making process versus are you the decision-maker? Because what am I going to get with describe for me or walk me through your decision-making process? I'm gonna get three or four questions embedded in that one question. Who makes the decisions, how the decisions are made, maybe timing of the decisions. maybe even criteria, okay? Possibly I would get in that. And research has found is that just by asking descriptive openers, you're gonna get on average 30% more information than the traditional who, what, where, when, why, and how. And they're very conversational. When I'm driving to appointments, seeing clients, and if I happen to turn on national public radio, and I want to listen to an interview, these individuals who are conducting the interviews are highly trained and asking these types of questions. And it's all about getting the interviewee to talk, 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 talk. So even in podcasts, you'll hear that. People are asking those descriptive openers because they're powerful and they're effective.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so I, I feel like a lot of uh, salespeople would benefit from journalism school. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Mom, yeah, uh, they're trained, they're trained little, professionally trained to be a,
0: inquisitive. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point. And you give up a little control because um, you're not necessarily going to get the exact specific answers that you that you need, but you can always ask a second question to go a little deeper. Like if That's you, right. If, if you ask, Describe for me the decision-making process. They may avoid covering who the exact decision maker, or well, this person needs to approve the budget, whereas you know th- this person decides which which one of these things are going, which, which competitor is going to be used, which best fits our our needs, um, and, and this person gives the the go ahead to actually engage. with, you know, they, they may not be that specific, but you can follow up and, and get more specific if you feel like they glossed over some important part of it.
0: You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it just jogged my memory. We were working with a client uh, in the electrical distribution, one of the top 10 largest um, distributors in North America. And they were going through our six-month program. And uh, interesting you say that because uh, here's what happened. They were uh, it was a government um, project bid. And they were like, I don't, we're not going to go for it because you know, everybody's going to be bidding on this and it wouldn't be worth it. But they said, okay, they, they were going through our program. They said, okay, well, let's try that question, okay? Um, and the question was a 2 pong approach. They met with the bid team. And the question came up was, you know, take us through your decision-making process. And what the answer was, again, it's fuzzy because it's like 12 years ago, but the answer was something like this. We'll start with us purchasing. And then from there, we'll pass it along to a construction, construction engineering. From there, then it'll be to the end user. So we found out there was like four or five parties involved. So there was with those, since we brought up the the key parties, people, next question follow-up was get the next layer, which is well, tell me what's going to be important to you uh, from a purchasing standpoint. And then what they found out was it's going to be pricing and availability. And then from the construction team, well, what's going to be what criteria is going to be important to them? And what they found out was going to be about ease of installation um, and fast turnaround. Uh, number three, engineering. What criteria are important to them is all about the durability, the durability, the integrity, the warranties. Um, just to ensure that there would be no liability concerns. And then the last question, the criteria that would be important to the end user, and that was all about that project would be done, you know, on time or before time, because the financial implications, penalties, were just going to be outrageous every day that it might be late. Well, it was interesting by. That two-layer approach that you just were bringing up to go a little bit deeper, they got a call six months later, and they got awarded the $5 million bid opportunity. All because they found out the parties involved, and then the second layer was the criteria that was important, or what each party valued. And it's the common sense stuff here, but, you know, if you want to – bottom line takeaway is if you want to sell value, you got to understand what customers value. And in a complex sale, when you're dealing with, you know, different parties, just like you say, well, it starts with me, then I take it to my boss and then my peers, and then on a senior level executives, and then our just distribution dealer team and end users. You know, I got to know that the organizational or political dynamics.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So thank you for, for prompting my memory on that. <laughs> well,
1: that's what I'm here for.
0: Well, yeah. The, 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 so you ask the question, <laughs> me. you stimulate
1: that's the same thing to do with customers you stimulate thought process okay right right well so next section sales in 60 seconds so quick questions quick answers yep. so I'll, here's a scenario your 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 client has done a sudden and complete u-turn and now they're not interested in doing business right now what questions do you ask them to start reeling them back in
0: yeah and that's it that's that's a clear signal that um I think a couple things here because that happens so often and um, we didn't smoke out the potential objections or concerns. And that's where I go back to the tough questions. You know, you know how we get a little lovey dovey with our clients and they give us all the promising buying signals. Yeah. Okay. I just need to go ahead and just, you know, turn this over and get a signature, to get approval. So we can, um, you know, get started next week and like, oh, okay, all right, I'll get back to you. When should I get back and pick up? You know, what I mean, it's all feels good and rosy and it's like, well, I'm not going to smoke out to find out any potential concerns. Well, that's the very reason I don't want to get comfortable where I need to say, okay, that's really good to hear. Let me ask you, let's talk about any concerns. What concerns or issues, hurdles might might possibly get in the way and moving this forward. Who might be a party or two that might, you know, who's in favor, who's opposed? What if by chance you do get some pushback? How are you going to respond to this issue? You know, again, I this is where, and it, this happened to me two weeks ago. And I teach this stuff. And then we had it all lined up. You know, I was going to be out there in two weeks, three-day gig. And then I found out, I sent the invoice, and he says, oh, change your plans. Uh, top leadership said we're going to go in a different direction. Well, shame on me because guess what? Didn't have a full grasp of the decision making process and did not ask those tough questions. All right? Because this happens all the time, all the time. Absolutely. So the well, best of objection to overcome is try to smoke out the objection from ever surfacing. rather sure. than waiting for it.
1: Yeah. Are there any questions that we should stay away from, anything that you're that we should avoid?
0: not really yeah you know i've, I've heard this you know i, I think that there, there are certain questions but even you know like making a customer feel stupid um when they're you ask them why why did you do that or t- making them feel like a kid like they really goofed up or they're stupid um but there's other ways to get around that and tell me you know tell me what happened what prompted you to think that way or whatever i think a dangerous question the only dangerous question i can think of is when you go in blind. And you were to ask something like about, you know, who they're currently using and then asking. And you don't know if there's any issues, pain points or frustrations. And then asking the questions, what do you like about them? And what don't you like about them? I just don't like going there because, number one, uh, if it comes out of their mouth, you know, oh, we love we've been using this uh, current supplier for the last 20 years. Been really happy with them. They take care of us in pricing service, turnaround, responsibility. You've just you don't have a chance now because what comes out of their mouths, they believe. You've solidified the very reasons why they need to sell. So in that unique situation, that question could work against you. But if you did a little bit of homework and you already knew there's some pain points, they don't have a problem. Okay? But otherwise, I'd say go for it. Ask those questions. The question you don't ask is usually the one that's going to end up getting you into trouble. That's my words of advice to the people listening today.
1: And is there... One, one go-to or an important question that you think salespeople generally don't ask, but they really should be asking and, and using in sales calls?
0: I think that, you know, questions are like, you know, to say that there's just one great question out there, That if I was a songwriter, that would be like saying, okay, there's one great note out there that one should always be using on every, you know, uh, every top song. And the reality is it's, it's, it's weaving. It's weaving certain notes together uh, to make it fluid, to make it dynamic, to make it adaptable. So we're not getting caught up in, in contrived mechanical ways of questions, but really with the intent to understand, to listen. That's the real key of the question.
1: And is there, is there a key to differentiating yourself from your competitors or a great way to differentiate yourself through the questions that you ask?
0: Yeah, and I'd say it's like Voltaire, a very famous 16th century French philosopher said, uh, don't judge a person by the answers. Judge them by their questions. Um, Claude D. Levi-Strauss, a very famous anthropologist uh, of the 20th century, says the wise person doesn't give the right answers. But poses the right questions. So I think that if you really want to differentiate yourself in the marketplace, because if you look at my bridge process back there, the discovery, that's where the emotions are. When I discover, when I probe, when I listen, when I connect, people want, if anything today with the trends are going, people generally speaking, want more of intimate connections, limited connections, but more intimate connections with business professionals. And I would think most of the people listening on today are business professionals. This is your tool. I can truly differentiate yourself when so many other salespeople are just going through the motions so they can get to the solution stage and give their feature benefits pitch, you know, and close the sale. Your due diligence is in your discovery. That is your differentiator.
1: Makes sense. Well, I'm going to try to summarize all the uh, all the valuable information you've told us about today here, Um, because a lot of a lot of our listeners are in their cars since they're in the field. Oh. So first of all, um, sales questions should gauge whether and what the first thing you can do with a sales question is gauge whether or not a prospect is interested. Yes. Uh, So you can use it as qualification. That's true. And you know
0: that's the very reason why I say ask great questions. It does not mean you're going to get a good answer. But you've right. just qualified that if they don't give you a good answer, then you know that they probably don't value or have an interest in a relationship. Sorry to interrupt you on that Steve, but that was an important element I wanted to add.
1: So please go oh, ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, no, add away. Um so another another thing you talked about was the that the salespeople asking the questions are in control. But the person answering questions feels like they're in control, which is an interesting thing to think about.
0: Because it's sales therapy. You are a therapist and like a good therapist. You really do want to take the time to really, you know, the, the worst thing that I could do is even say, yeah, we're having a problem with our current system. Oh, really? Let me tell you about what we can do in terms of our mapping solutions. All the benefits features is how it's going to solve your problems. When I didn't do my diligence. Oh, really? You said there are a problem. Tell me more. What exactly is the problem? Cause of the problem, duration. Oh, how's that affected you and other people involved? And what are the ramifications that you don't fix these issues? See, I have, a, I have a methodology I'll go through before I jump the gun and want to cl- try to close you or tell my story because then I may just create a stall or an objection. So that's the reason why when you said control, very important. Absolutely. People want to get that stuff out and talk about.
1: It's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing you talked about was that you should have a goal in mind to engage with prospects and guide them towards the right decision. Yes, yes. You you should leverage the massive amounts of information out there today and uh, to develop your questions and learn a bit about your prospects and customers and really allow yourself to ask better questions.
0: Yeah, less questions, ask less questions, get a lot more information. And I think it's so important because whether it's a prospective opportunity, You know, somebody's going to give you what, you know, these are outside salespeople, you know, they're going to give you a little bit more time, the the prospect, um, you know, versus a telephone call. But very reason why that that first impression, you know, they're going to give you a minute, two minutes, three minutes max. And if you're not making a really good impression in that first three minutes and questions are going to do that, that's going to be your leverage. Whether they're going to look at their watch and say, you know what, I got five more minutes, you know, shoot, what do you got for me? Okay, versus when you could have fun with that and say, well, you did give me just five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it is, should we continue or reschedule? If you hit what's important to them, you know, it's so great, Steve. They'll go, no, 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 let's go ahead and continue. It's amazing,
1: because you you got on their emotional wavelength. Right. And, and Paul often uses the educational question yeah. where you, you bring up some valuable information you've researched about your prospect. Yeah. And, at, and ask a question based on that information that you found. Yeah, yeah. It's so easy.
0: It's just third-party information, whether it's a trade journal, article, something on Google, a conversation you have with a colleague, another client. You don't need to mention the client, but it's leveraging third-party resources, which is where we're concerned about information. No, no, no. It shows, it shows that you are a business advisor,
1: okay, an expert. In the field, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another point that Paul made was, don't visit a prospect if you don't have a purpose. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, most salespeople focus on the present when asking questions, and they yeah. and they don't ask enough about the past yeah. or the future. Yeah, and yeah. it's so important to to ask uh, questions about the past to understand their pains, and yes. also questions about the future to understand their goals. Yeah. You want to emotionally connect with your customers by aligning with their motivators. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you do this by answering these questions uh, for prospects. How is this going to minimize my risk? How is yep. this going to give me a competitive advantage? Yep. How is this going to make me more profitable? And how is this going to make my life easier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lock-on questions are more tactical. You lock on to a verb that they use and ask about the action they'll take. Mm -hmm. so for for an example um they may mention they're going to talk to colleagues about about your product or service and you can say oh well when you talk to Uh, colleagues will you be recommending or endorsing our product yeah Mm -hmm. you can also ask expansion questions which are kind of related Uh, instead of asking are you the decision maker you you replace you replace that question with a descriptive opener like yeah Describe for me your decision making process. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you can follow this up with more questions like what would be important for you in order to make a decision here? Yes, yes, yeah.
0: That's where you get into the lock-ons, okay? As you get more
1: tactical digging deeper, deeper. Yes. Very good. Well, Paul, this has been so valuable to, to get yep. a better understanding and a deep deep dive into questioning your and how to ask questions of your yes. of your prospects and customers. Where can people Uh, that are listening today, read more about your work. How do they reach out to you best uh, for what you do? And they can go to pbresults.com
0: as in peanut butter or performance based results.com. So it'd be PB, pbresults.com download my 75 best questions to close more sales. Um, That is a powerful reference checklist tool uh, that you can use out in the field before you go into the call, even your little cheat sheet during the call or the post review. Check that out. I think there'll be an invaluable resource uh, in helping people get more sales.
1: Okay. It's one of the most important things we do and very few people dive deep into how this is done get deep. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. Uh,
0: You did a phenomenal job um, interviewing me and summarizing the the key takeaways. I really appreciate that. It was a pleasure.
1: Well, thanks for coming. Uh, Paul, it's been fantastic. And uh, it's been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If anyone thinks of any of their sales reps that would benefit from learning these skills that Paul's taught us, definitely share this episode with them. Take care. Until next time, everybody.